purpose of the first Christian church is to love God, love others, and spread the gospel. So there's this archaeologist, right? And uh, he, he discovers a mummy, not unlike the one there on the screen. But uh, he discovers a mummy, and uh, he examines it, and he called the curator of a prestigious natural history museum. I've just discovered the 3,000-year-old mummy of a man who died of heart failure, said the archaeologist, all excited. The curator replied, we'll bring him in and we'll check him out. A week later, the amazed curator called the archaeologist. You were right. You were right about the mummy's age, and you were right about the fact that he died of heart failure. How in the world did you know that? The archaeologist replied, easy. There was a piece of paper in his hand that read 10,000 shekels on Goliath. Like a little joke grenade. Takes a minute to go off. Okay. This morning we're going to talk about God's power to do what seems impossible. We're going to talk about God's power to do what seems is impossible. In Mark 10, 27, Jesus said, all things are possible with God. Say that with me. All things are possible with God. The context of that statement was about a rich man who wanted to justify himself. When Jesus told him to sell everything and to follow him, the man went away very sad. Jesus told the disciples that it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. The disciples asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. All things are possible. In other words, salvation by human efforts is impossible. But for God, nothing is impossible. Absolutely nothing is impossible for God. Amen? Not even pushing a camel through the eye of a needle. Not even winning a battle against a huge army with just 300 men. And that's the story we're going to talk about this morning. It is the story of Gideon and his army. Now, if this is your first time here with us today, or you haven't been here for a while, uh, we have been talking about stories. Stories we know. Stories from the Old Testament. We're talking about these great old stories that took place a long, long time ago in a galaxy not too far away, and uh, we're talking about these great stories of the Old Testament. Today's story is found in Judges chapter 7. If you'd like to grab a Bible and turn there, it's in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, the seventh book of the Old Testament, and uh, you can turn there to Judges chapter 7 and follow along. Actually, the story of Gideon and his army begins before Judges 7 in Judges chapter 6. The main story is found in 7, but the background of the story is found in 6. You see, in the book of Judges, a pattern emerges. And this is the pattern right here. Israel does evil in the sight of the Lord by worshiping other gods. God sends a foreign army to punish Israel. Israel repents, and then God sends them a judge to rescue them. And this is what happened when Gideon was raised up as a judge for Israel. God delivered Israel into the hands of the Midianites. The Midianites would set up camp in the fields of the Israelites uh, where they had planted their crops. Judges 6.6 says, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And there you go. Israel repents by calling out to God. That's what happened all the time. So Israel did evil. They... um, worshipped false gods, Uh, God punished them by sending the Midianites, and then they repented and they cried out to God, and God's going to raise up a judge. It says God sent them a prophet who promised, uh, a a prophet, he, a prophet to explain what was going on and why. He said the Israelites had been told not to worship the gods of the Amorites, but they had not listened to him. The angel of the Lord went and visited the hero of our story, 
Gideon. Then angel told Gideon that the Lord was with him. The angel then told him that the Lord was sending him to deliver Israel from the hands of the Midianites. Uh, Gideon said, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. God told Gideon that he would be with him, and that together they would strike down all the Midianites. Now Gideon was really, he, he wasn't one to take things at face value. So he asked for a sign to know who it really was that he was talking to. He wanted to make a sacrificial offering to the Lord. Gideon went and prepared the offering and brought it out to the angel of the Lord. He prepared a young goat and he made bread without yeast. The meat was in a basket and the broth was in a pot. He offered these things to the angel underneath an oak tree. The angel told Gideon to put the bread and the meat on a rock and to pour out the broth. The angel touched the meat and the bread with his staff and fire flared up from the rock and consumed them both. Now that'd be kind of cool. You know, if I'm Gideon and I'm thinking, all right, I need a sign. I'm going to put this meat and this bread and this broth on a rock. You know, I'm talking to this guy and all of a sudden he touches the rock. Fire. Okay. All right. This is cool. I know. Okay. You're, yeah, you're the angel of the Lord. We're good. Um, The angel disappeared and Gideon really knew he was talking to. God said, peace. Do not be afraid. You are not going to die. Gideon built an altar to the Lord at that place and he called it, the Lord is peace. On that night, the Lord told Gideon to take the second bull from his father's herd, the one that was seven years old. God told him to tear down his father's altar to Baal and to cut down the Asherah pole that was next to it. Now, Baal was a false god uh, that the people of Canaan worshipped and that Israelites worshipped from time to time. Asherah may have been a fertility goddess who was associated with groves of trees, and the Asherah pole was built to symbolize trees. God told Gideon to build a proper altar and to use the wood from the Asherah pole to sacrifice the bull on. So this is Gideon's family we're talking about here. Gideon's dad is a Baal worshiper, and he's got an Asherah pole. He's got this false goddess pole in his backyard. So Gideon goes out, and he does what God tells him to do, and he does it at night because he's afraid of his family. The men of the town woke up the next morning, and the altar to Baal was gone, and the pole was cut down, and there was a new altar with freshly sacrificed bull on it. They're not happy. They're not happy at all. They investigated the matter, and they discovered that it was Gideon who did it, and they wanted to kill him. Gideon's father defended him and asked the people if they were going to defend Baal. He said that if Baal was truly a god, then he could defend himself. The the, uh, Israelites started calling Gideon Jerubbaal, which means let Baal contend. In other words, let Baal defend himself against Gideon. So you got this guy named Gideon. He says, you know, I'm the weakest member of the weakest clan of of the little tribe of Manasseh, you know, and and what am I going to do? You know, an angel comes and visits him and they have a conversation and fire out of the rock. And and now he goes and he tears down the altar and he builds a new altar and he tears down the pole and he sacrifices the bull on the wood from the pole and everything. Uh, Meanwhile, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples, who also end in Ite, got together and crossed over into and camped in what is now known as the Valley of Jezreel. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he sounded a trumpet that called together some of the tribes of Israel and some of the surrounding peoples to fight against the Midianites and the other eastern peoples, whose names ended in Ite. Remember that Gideon is a little chicken from time to time, so he asked the Lord for a sign again. He wants a sign that the Israelites and his army will defeat their enemies. He takes a wool fleece and he put it on the threshing floor. He woke up, uh, when he woke up in the morning, if there was dew on the fleece 
and the surrounding ground was dry, then he would know that the Lord was with them and that they would defeat their enemies. And that's exactly what happened. The very next day, he wakes up dry ground all around a wet fleece. But you know what? That's not good, good enough for old Gideon. He wanted another sign. This time he puts the fleece out, and if the fleece was dry and the surrounding ground was wet, he knew that God would be with him. Maybe the first time was just a coincidence. Maybe it was just kind of an accident. Maybe, you know, who knows? Let's try this again. So he goes out and he does it. That very thing happened, and then he knew that God was with him. And that moves us into chapter 7. So that's all background. This is the story that we're talking about. This is the story of Gideon and his army. Gideon and his army are camped out, and the camp of Midian was to the north. God told Gideon that there was a problem. Where did I put my Bible? Judges chapter 7, verses 2 and 3. God tells Gideon, we got a problem. So Gideon and his army are camping out. Judges chapter 7, verses 2 and 3. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her, announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 20,000 men left while 10,000 remained. 20,000 chickens. 20,000 men. So he's got, you know, there's 20,000 some guys out there. You know, anyone who's afraid can leave now. 20,000, it, it must have been quite the sight. 20,000 men said, all right, we're out of here. And whew, army. God tells Gideon, we still got a problem. Still too many men. They were going to go down to the water by the spring uh, that they were camped out by. The men began to drink. And God told Gideon that those who lapped up water like dogs, they're down on their hands and knees, and those who lapped up water like dogs were to be separated from those who knelt down to drink. So you got people laying on the ground going, you know, drinking water. And then you got others who are kneeling down and putting water up to their face. Uh, 300 drank the water like dogs, and the rest knelt down. What's the difference, you ask? Why is that important? Those who got down on their knees and put their heads in the water are an easy target, and they are unaware of the movement of their enemies. Those who laid down flat were less of a target and were able to keep alert. Ah, see? You would think people drinking like dogs would be the ones you want to get rid of. But no, the 300 who drank like dogs are smart, okay? So they're going to stay. 300 are going to stay, uh, and uh, the rest of them are going to go. So Gideon has lost over 20,000 soldiers, and he's left with an army of 300. His enemy was huge. Listen to how his enemy is described, okay? Uh, verse 8, starting the second half of verse 8. Um, now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Thick as locusts, more camels than, than sand on the seashore. We got a lot of people down here. Gideon's got 300 guys. And that's what's going on. Uh, God gave Gideon another sign that the Midians would be defeated, verses 13 and 14. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. God reveals the battle plan to Gideon. He tells him this is what's going to happen. This one is as, as unique as the battle of the plan to defeat Jericho that we talked about last week. How many of you still have your kazoos? Huh? Oh, a few of you. All right. How many of you threw away your kazoos? 
Uh-huh. The 300 men were divided into three companies. They each had a trumpet and a torch in a jar. You got a, a, a huge city and Israelites marching around it with trumpets. And, and they're shouting. And the walls come crumbling down. I, I couldn't have thought of that. I doubt you could have thought of that. And now you've got 300 guys going up against this massively huge army of the Amalekites, the Midianites, and all the otherites. And, and, and you've got 300 guys and, and torches and, and trumpets. Um, okay. Uh, they went to the edge of the camp, and Gideon and those who were with him were going to blow their trumpets. Then all 300 would blow their trumpets and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. They go to the edge of the Midianite camp just after the changing of the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke their jars and shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. They held their positions and all the Midianites began to flee. When the 300 trumpets blew, the Midianites turned on each other and killed one another. What is going on? Why did this work? Because, A, because God was with them. Because God was behind this whole thing. This is God's doing. Secondly, because trumpeters were usually just a small part of an army. 300 trumpets would have indicated a much larger army, and the night attack would have filled the Midianites with great fear. So that's why this whole thing works. God is with them, and God's battle plan, as incon inconceivable as it sounds to us, is a perfect battle plan, because God knows what he's doing. And God's strength is what we need to rely on. You see... It's not about our strength. There are two important lessons that we need to learn from the story of Gideon and his army. And the first is that our battles in this world are not about our strength. It's not about us. Uh, when we face battles with stress, doubt, fear, temptation, we often want to rely on our own strength. I know that this is true for me. That When I am going through it, when I am in the storm of life, when I am in the battle for my life, I, I want to do it on my own. I got that Frank Sinatra, I'll do it my way mentality. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm an American, John Wayne, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to get through this battle. I'm going to get through the storm. I'm going to do it on my own. I've got the, I, I can do it. I'm a, I'm a man. Right? We may be tempted to sin. We feel like we are in the battle by ourselves. You know, we kind of think of ourselves as kind of a lone ranger up against the devil. Hi-ho, silver, away! You know, and it's like me against the devil one-on-one. -on -one. I got the silver bullets. It is as though everything depends on us. Everything depends on me. That overcoming doubt or temptation is dependent on our own strength. And in reality, there is no way. There is no way that we can overcome temptation uh, or fear or doubt. You know, positive thinking... Sorry, ain't going to do it. That's not going to get it. We need to remember that it is not about our strength. It is not about our efforts. Remember what Gideon said about himself. He was the weakest member of the weakest clan of the tribe of Manasseh. But what did an angel call him in 612? He called him a mighty warrior. Gideon says, you know, I'm just this little guy. I'm the weakest member, you know. Mm. Yet this angel shows up and says, mighty warrior. Why? Because God was going to be with him. Gideon wasn't a mighty warrior on his own. It's because God was going to be with him. It was not about Gideon's strength, but about the strength and power of God. You know what I was talking to the kids about. Turn this on, right? This is what it's all about right here. 
It's about God's power and God's strength. That's what it's all about. God does not always choose the mightiest and most powerful and most talented people to accomplish his purposes. He chose me. Rather, he will choose those who are humble and willing to do his will. Gideon was the right guy for God to accomplish great things, not because Gideon was a fighting champion or because he had some great pedigree. He was the right guy because he was humble and willing to be used. He had issues with fear and doubt. I mean, how many times does he tell God, I need to sign, I need to sign, I need to sign, I need to sign? Uh, this guy, had, he had serious fear and doubt issues. But, he, you know, and he puts God to the test, and God doesn't strike him dead. And God gives him the power to win a great victory with only 300 soldiers. How? Because it was not about Gideon's strength. It was about God's power and God's strength. The same thing goes for us in our lives. To win battles over temptation, fear, and doubt, we need to pray for God's strength to be revealed in our lives. Paul, when he, in Philippians uh, 4.13, he's talking about how, um, how he has the power to be content. You know, we live in a world in which nobody is content. There is no such thing as contentment in our world. And uh, it wasn't, things obviously weren't that much different in Paul's day because when he said, I know the secret to being content in all situations, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. In 2 Corinthians 12.10, Paul wrote, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. No matter what temptation we are going through, God gives strength and the opportunity to get out from underneath it. What we have to do is recognize that. We have to recognize the way out. And then we have to use it. See, that's the problem. <laughs> we'll be tempted to do something that we know we shouldn't do. You know, go reach in the cookie jar and take a cookie. And God, you know, puts a bulldog or a pit bull right in our way to get to the cookie jar. And what do we do? We grab a steak. We throw the steak and the pit bull runs after the steak. And we go over to the cookie jar and grab the cookie except on a more bigger, more dangerous spiritual level. Um, we, uh, we don't take the way out. Too often we get caught up in the moment we just want to go ahead and sin. But we are called to be holy as God is holy. Something that surely sounds impossible, but with God, all things are possible. That is the second lesson we need to learn, is that what may seem impossible for us is always possible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. Tearing down the walls of Jericho with trumpets and shouts, not impossible. Winning a battle against a mighty foe with only 300 men, some trumpets and shouts, not impossible. Saving the world from sin on a wooden Roman cross, not impossible for God. No matter what mountain you are facing in your life, it is possible to climb it with God. It is not about our strength, but God's power. It is not about our strength, it is about God's strength. You may be facing a difficult situation at home. You're not getting along with your spouse or your kids. That mountain may seem like it's impossible to climb and it'd be just a whole lot easier if you just gave up. Don't give up. Give it over to God. Tell him that you don't have the strength to make it through even one more day in that situation and that you need his help. It may be some kind of physical ailment that you are facing. You just don't know how you're going to go on. Again, God gives strength to the weak. Tell him that you are weak and you need him to be strong. Ask him to give you the strength to go on. It may be the loss of a close loved one that makes it hard to go on. That's your personal mountain. Grief, heartache, and pain. 
How can you go on when it hurts so much, when you feel so weak and helpless? That's when we give it over to God and say, Lord, I am weak and I need you to be strong for me and to help me make it through another day. Sometimes, folks, that's all we can do. Just making it through the next day. We don't know that we're going to do it. We don't know how we're going to do it. We don't know how, I don't know how I'm going to get through tomorrow. That's when I need God's strength. That's when I need God's power. Just to get through tomorrow. And then the next day. And then the next day. Lord, I am weak. I am frail. I am feeble. I have no power on my own. I have no strength on my own. I can't do it. I can't make it. And I need you to be my strength, to be my power. I need you and your strength and your power in my life. It may be fear, fear of failure, fear of loss, fear of death. How do we overcome fear? Through the power of God. God loves us so very much. And the Bible says that perfect love drives out fear and judge, uh, the fear of judgment in 1 John 4.18. In this story, a, a woman was told that she, it was impossible for her to give birth, but she knew better. The doctor told Marsha, Mark, and her husband that they needed to accept the fact that they would never have biolo- biological children. Amid the discouragement, Marsha somehow clung to a friend's words. Somehow, Marsha, God is going to use your struggle with infertility for his glory. Marsha began to pray for a simple glimpse of that glory. In her words, I'd asked everyone I knew to pray. One five-year-old gave God suggestions. Dear God, please give Marcia a baby. Maybe someone could give her one or she could just find one on the street. Amen. My husband stopped praying when he realized that I was beginning menopause. Being a scientist, Tom had seen all the facts. And in his lifetime, he'd never seen prayer change facts. Six months later, I made an appointment for some tests, including one more pregnancy test. They looked at me with pity and said, no, you haven't had any cycles for seven months. Asking for another pregnancy test indicates you are not accepting things as they are. I begged for the extra test and finally convinced them. The test came back positive. Over the next 14 days, I had four more pregnancy tests and three more sonograms at the hospital's request. I think this time they were having trouble dealing with the facts. My full-term pregnancy was uneventful, unless you count every day bathed in praise for the answer to our prayer. On October 22, 1996, Amanda Joy was born. We call her Miracle Mandy. What may seem impossible for us, what may seem absolutely impossible, is not impossible for God. All things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. Say it with me. All things are possible with God. Experts have opinions. Logic may tell us that something is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Even, as I said before, salvation from a Roman cross. Jesus did what seemed was impossible. When humanity was dying in sin, Jesus died on a cross. When all hope was lost, Jesus brought hope to the world. Let us trust him for salvation, and let us trust him to do what seems impossible in our lives. For nothing is impossible for God. Heavenly Father, I pray today that your strength would be revealed in our lives. That when we're up against it, when we're going through it, when we don't know how we're going to make it, when temptation, fear, doubt, when they come calling God and our, our weakness is so evident that you, would be strength, that you would be strong, that you would be our strength, you would be our shield. Father God, 
Remind us that nothing is impossible for you, that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. We can do anything through your power and your strength, not for our glory, God, but for your glory alone. I pray today for those who are really going through it, for those who have fear, for those who have doubt, for those who are struggling at home or struggling at work. I pray for those who are dealing with heartache and pain and loss, that God, you would be our strength, that you'd get us through today and tomorrow and the day after. Lord, we are going through so much in our lives. There are so many hurts and heartaches. You know them all. You see them all. And I pray, God, that you would move in a very powerful way. Display your strength. Display your power. Reveal it in our lives that we will truly know that nothing is impossible for you. We love you and thank you for sending Jesus to die for our sins. For that which seemed impossible, the salvation of our souls, <laughs> is not, a, not impossible for you. For with you all things are possible. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.